This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, well, buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turned to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art and film, filmmaking, television, painting, music, design, and literature by focusing on the career of David Lynch. To hash it out, oh my God, guys, you are... You're in such a you're in for such a treat today because we don't have just one Parsons in the house. We have two. The Parson sisters, in fact. So get your favorite drink because we're gonna dish. So let's meet our panel. Let's go with the OG first. So first up is Alexander the Great Parsons. Welcome back to the show, Miss Parsons. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. For, thank thank you for having me. I, and uh, now let's let's introduce your sister. Making her AOTB debut is her sister, <laughs> Marie the Miracle Parsons. <laughs> the Marie, Marie, hey. welcome to the show. Hey guys, Nova, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I uh, oh, I'm excited because right away, right when you came on, we got to chit chat a little bit in our pre-show. Mm-hmm. I knew right away you guys. Were sisters in fact Allie um she was throwing out zodiac signs Hell immediately yeah. she was like oh yeah my sister the leo and i'm like oh my god <laughs> the parson sisters are in the house yeah yeah it's a thing yeah i'm like my sister's good at everything i'm like she's a leo like she's just a natural that. <laughs> like, she's a natural so what are you marie for for the good people that i'm a know. taurus i'm an ah. april taurus i actually have a leo rising so i have a little bit of that but I'm a very, you know, stubborn, creative creature. Stubborn, creative creature, which is perfect. Stubborn, creative, for reliable. Show. Yeah. I feel like David Lynch is a, is a stubborn, you know, uh, creative creature. Well, he's got, he's a Capricorn Aquarian cusp. So oh my God, you know so much. Such Jesus a, Christ. Such a beautiful too. cusp because you have the Aquarian, like, innovative, creative you know, and then the Capricorns are like driven and like work oriented. So like, it's a really Ooh. good long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's true. That's true. It's, we can see that in his career. Mm-hmm. So, oh man, guys, we're gonna have so much to discuss. So uh, <laughs> let's tell the let's tell the good people why though. First, why are we talking about David Lynch today? So we're talking about David Lynch because in so many ways he is the godfather of indie and surreal filmmaking. Because uh, David Lynch not only revolutionized how we saw films, but what could be in them as well as how it affected us, you know, metaphysically and emotionally and how it left us yearning for more and even questioning what we knew about ourselves, the things outside ourselves and the world around us, reshaping concepts of what surrealism even could be to affect our very own real reality. Now, before we can discuss further, of course, we all need a little background. So David Keith Lynch was born on January 20th, 1946 in Missoula, Montana. He is often dubbed as a filmmaker first, but uh, as you will learn in our discussion section, I think at the heart of Mr. Lynch, he's he's just an artist. He's an artist because he's also worked as a writer, musician, photographer, actor, and like already stated, a visual artist. In, in fact, uh, before making films, that's exactly what he studied. He studied painting. He's been nominated and has won a number of awards throughout his career, often for filmmaking in a variety of capacities, winning a, let's go through it real quick, guys, a Caesar Award in 1982 for The Elephant Man, three accolades for Blue Velvet, a Cannes Film Festival's Pan de Oro. In 1990 for Wild at Heart, the Bodil Award in 2000 for The Straight Story, seven accolades for Mulholland Drive, and two accolades for Inland Empire. He's also won honorary awards for outstanding achievement in the arts, including the Venice Film Festival's The Golden Lion in 2006 and an Academy Award in 2019. Now, oh my God, his career is so vast. Before we get there, guys, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by novella Adulteration. Follow adult entertainer Jessica Amber Starr as she embarks on a journey that will change her life forever. She not only finds herself in the industry, but figures out a way to transform herself and eventually become reborn. Find out how an adulteration, which can be found on Amazon in both paperback and ebook, available now. Now back to the show. All right, guys, we are back. And... Um... Miss Marie, I want to start with you for this discussion section because uh, we got to, you know, it's a rite of passage. I got to put you on the spot for a little bit. So we're going to do it at the top of the show here. And uh, I want to start the discussion here because David Lynch's career is incredibly fascinating because I I love me some weird. I love me some avant-garde. I love me some strange. So there's, there's crazy shit, crazy eccentric art in the world. And then there's David Lynch. So tell the good people, you're kind of acting as like the David Lynch super fan community right now. Yeah, yeah. So get ready, buckle up. So tell the good people, if they haven't really gotten to David Lynch, because it is hard, he's very challenging to get into. It's a very weird shit. Uh, tell us, why Why is he so captivating? Oh my God, do we have like a day? <laughs> How much um, time do you got, right? Yeah. It's... He's just a staple in the art world. I think that if you're wanting to challenge yourself as an artist, I mean, or honestly, even a human, like he has the ability to really get inside your psyche and kind of like dig into your brain and challenge your idea of what normal is, or as you said earlier, like what reality is. And I think that even if you're not looking to be a philosopher or to break things down or break things apart all the time. I think that it's just, 
it's a good exercise as an artist. Um, so if you're into film, filmmaking, um, obviously visual arts, because that's how he started. Um, I think that he just pushes against the norm um, and whatever that is. And he never really even defines it. You never will catch David. Oh Lentz. God, he's so cagey. You can't, yeah. get a, you can't get an answer from him about what any of his stuff means. Yeah. Right? And he's a quintessential artist. I think if whatever, if I could think of a person, it's him. I mean, cause he's so well-rounded in that. So, I mean, it's such, he's such a delight. But he's so his stuff is so creepy and cringy too, and but also <laughs> beautiful and like makes you want to freaking ball your eyes out. I mean, there's just it's so broad. Such as life, right? Yeah, Such exactly, life. <laughs> exactly. Allie, um, now as a more of a lay fan, you know, you're mm-hmm. you're the other end of that spectrum. Why do you feel like people gravitate towards him as much as they do? Well, my sister did introduce me to Lynch and a lot of things. I've mentioned her a few times on yep, the shows. Yep. and um, That's why she's the miracle. It's We finally got <laughs> um, her on the show. It's a miracle. It's yeah. um, so, <laughs> and I was saying that like a lot of, a lot of artists and a lot of street artists, a lot of street fashion in general, even that, people are really always looking for something that's going to expand like new ideas. And a lot of the artists that are, are into the avant-garde that are into the weird, as we say, are, you know, they are looking for something new and different. And even though, you know, David Lynch has been around for a minute, he's definitely going to make you leaving or feeling uncomfortable or Mm -hmm. what just fucking happened. And um, (laughs) half the time, you know, and because he is very much um, a abstract person, makes sense with his artwork. um, And I'm very much an abstract artist and abstract thinker. it's even hard for me to follow some of his work. I think, oh my like, God, yes. At Jesus the end Christ. of it, um, you're like, what? I, I thought I was really good. It, he does challenge you because you're like, I thought I was really good at think, being abstract, but clearly I, I don't know. Like I need to like maybe meditate more. Like, um, but he, and he is into the, the dream world as we talked about. Um, and I'm, I've always been very much fascinated with dreams and the meaning behind them. And, um, I love Carl Jung and his movies are kind of like that. Like you don't have an ending to a dream or beginning. And sometimes his films are like that. So he's ca- very much connected to the psyche. He doesn't really mm. believe in rules the way other oh, people. Throws it out the window. The other Ur- people like. Burns the book. The rule yeah, book. Yeah. And I think it makes people like really like confused. And that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So let's let's dig deeper, guys. And you know what we do here at AOTB. We like to tell the career of someone's story, their biography, their biography through their work, through the arts, and we're gonna talk. We're let's we're gonna start with his babies, his films, and then move on to television, and then tell the good people the, some of the other things he does. Because I don't, I think a lot of people didn't even realize how fucking far this guy's you know repertoire really goes. Mm. And I want to start at the at the top. We're gonna go top to bottom as we do. We're gonna start with 1977's Eraserhead his first film. And I want to tee you guys up. I want to tee the conversation up with this because right out of the, out of the gates, we saw his signature style, his signature identity. What, you know, what makes him stand apart from absolutely the rest. And I, I want to start with feeling first because I'm much in the vein of your guys's answers to my first question at the top of the, the segment is uh, trying to explain 
yeah, why he's so challenging. So let's talk about how it affects us a little mm-hmm. bit. And Eraserhead made me feel two things right off the bat. <laughs> uh, extreme dread, a overwhelming. So in that dread, you know, there was this overwhelming sense of uh, just unease. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it was just tension and an attention I've never quite felt mm-hmm. in another film quite like a racer head. But then that was juxtaposed by strange sexual tension. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys probably know what a racer head means to David Lynch. And we'll tell the good people that in a minute, but Marie, let's start with you again. How did, how did something like a racer head make you feel? Because it is definitely it challenge you it challenges us i think on an emotional level first honestly it's been a while since i've seen it but this was when i was in my david lynch like hype phase where it was like he's the be all end all and like i have to see all his work and i was so this was it this was like the pinnacle film it started everything so i was sort of like shocked to like what am i once again Allie was saying like what am i effing watching you yeah. know like what but then just you could throw f bombs on the show if you want. Fuck it. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you don't, but um, your choice. Yeah, but uh, thank you. Um, but <laughs> you're, well, just, you're welcome. Th- just create. Uh, I don't even know how to put it into words. I mean, he took something like having you know a colicky child, and then he like put the volume up, you know, times twenty, and it it just like made us like it like that chalk that nail on the chalkboard feeling but it felt like that the whole time you're watching oh, the with, movie between like, the music and the imagery especially of you know we're gonna assume everyone listening has, has hopefully seen this so we're just gonna talk about it like they have that right. little fucking baby what? still gives me nightmares and talk about talk about you know what's crazy talk about you know but this was this wasn't just low budget. This wasn't just shoestring. This was like student level budget. Like he had yeah. nothing. And the the fact that he made that that little prosthetic, that little puppet looked uh, it looked amazing for what they had. Yeah. Wasn't it a piece of meat? <laughs> no, that documentary. Uh, the, the lizard baby? Yeah. I don't know if it's a I don't know if it was a piece of meat, honestly. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know often what starts and ends in terms of his practical uh effects honestly you know but i it it was just it was so powerful you know because you could tell like okay they had like one set two sets and they would move things in and out and how they would use the planet or the guy pulling the levers or the use of it it was incredible what they made with how little they had is the Mm -hmm. point i think it's one of those films that you're kind of like I remember where I was when I first saw that film because I was in LA and I that, I very rarely Marie knows I like could stomach a lot of things. Yes, uh, I had to turn it off. Really, <laughs> it was yeah, yeah it I was, was like I can't watch anymore. The other the key word, you know, I used unease, but it was unsettling. Yes, yeah, really so unsettling. Much. And but then then you know we saw always you know he he made a style. We literally call it. Lynchian filmmaking to this mm-hmm. day and we see a lot of those he didn't quite I don't think he quite perfected it until Blue Velvet but we'll get there I'm getting a little ahead of myself mm-hmm. but you know this was a tale and I think um, getting to 
you know, we're, we're in the inverted pyramid, getting to figuring out who this man is. You know, we're not fucking psychiatrists or psychoanalysts or psychologists, but I, you know, you know, we want to try to figure out the inner workings of his mind at the same time. And we saw right away with this story, he was clearly channeling the reality of becoming a parent before he wanted to. And that's what that is the heart and soul of, I think, what a racer head is, you know, though it has surrealism, it has dreamlike imagery, it has all these crazy elements. It was him trying, you know, him emotionally trying to come to terms with him becoming a parent before he was really ready. Wow. Okay. Because he just had that first baby. Right. Jennifer, and I believe the wife, name. Peggy, was in the film. She played the his first cool. wife. I didn't know yeah. that. I just I discovered I that, that on the uh, when we were watching the art life, and then the synopsis of uh, this film was that yeah, it was a man that found out his girlfriend was pregnant. This was the first time, in essence, we were seeing how he dealt with internal struggles into his art. He clearly, <laughs> we saw that. I think we see that through his whole career of him channeling a lot of these demons into his art. He didn't do that with his next film. So let's move on to 1980s, The Elephant Man, and this is more. This is more of a straight forward story less dreamlike but of course it has that lynchian imagery with the literal elephant man and uh for for the good people that don't know you know this this kind of tells the story of um, a man that's disfigured i guess we could say in a mm -hmm. nice way and kind of the trials and tribulations of him going from i think he was like in a traveling circus um party to his life changing when meeting scientists and all these things like that. This, well, this was actually one of my favorite movies when I was little. And it's so strange to think about. Um, when you were little, how old? Oh my God. Well, I was. <laughs> my favorite movie I was, when I was little was like Labyrinth, not The <laughs> Elephant Man. Well, I was born in 77. So, like in 80, I was three. So, like, I was probably five when I first saw it. My parents had HBO. <laughs> That was one of the only like cable. This is why you're the super fan. This is why you're speaking on behalf of the. Yeah, and I had no idea it was David Lynch that directed it till later, and I was like, "That was a David Lynch film," because, like you said, Novo, like it was a very straight. He it didn't was, write it, right? It was. It was. It was, it was more right. It was much more straightforward actually, than a racer. Mel Brooks head. produced it. Yeah, Did you guys yeah, know yeah. That? The comedian Mel Brooks. Yeah. Yeah, and he didn't list his name in the credits because he didn't want people to think that it. And also, it was based on. The true story of a man named, I'm trying to look up his name right now. It's Joseph Merrick. Merrick. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I thought there's, I don't know what I, I was mesmerized with it as a youth. Um, wow. That makes sense, though. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, guys, check it out. Were you mesmerized? Now, let's segue <laughs> to 1984's Dune because I feel like I definitely saw this as a kid, not as probably as young as three or five, but as a kid, I probably was like in middle school or high school. Mm. Um, shout out to my brother, Kobar Spiritual. That's his uh, Jedi name. Mm -hmm. um, and he introduced me to a lot of very avant-garde art in my upbringing and he he rented dune for me to watch we watched it together and right. oh my fucking god that yeah. is a fever dream of so many different ideas um and i think <laughs> there's not too much to say about dune i don't want to spend a lot of time here i can see why things didn't work out <laughs> <laughs> what did you say marie about he was pissed david lynch was pissed about something i saw a little snippet from him saying he was not his favorite 
he hated the film. He hated the outcome. Oh yeah, because this was the studio film, you know. Yeah, this he was, wasn't allowed you know, final edit. I guess. Yeah, I he didn't get that. director's cut or final cut. Nothing. So he's like, it's trash. He's like, I don't want anything to do with that movie. I and... couldn't even imagine the original edit then. Like it was exactly. already pretty weird. Like, but exactly. can you imagine like a four-hour, two-part, you know, no. Denis Villeneuve style edit? No. Not at all. Oh, my God. I watched it last night. People weren't ready. Oh, you watched it again last night? I oh. watched it for the first time last night. I never oh, get saw it. Get your anxiety it. medicine out. Did you uh, see the whole thing? Um, no, I think I fell asleep. Yeah. And then I woke up and turned it off. But I was like, why did What'd I you think have- of that giant blob puppet? Oh, my uh, God. That's kind of gross. I like think I like I think <laughs> I gross. saw his like pimples popping and I'm like killing somebody uh, yeah. or no, something. No, the in oral the, herpes and the freaking zip. In the green room or something. <laughs> yeah, I like. I had, I was wondering why I had so many, I had anxiety dreams. Like in the dream, I was having a panic attack, but I felt like I wasn't sweating. I didn't have night terrors. Like I, and I woke up feeling fine. I was like, what the fuck was that? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, it was from the fucking movie. <laughs> it was from Dune. Yeah, man. It's, oh, man. The Holy new shit. one is way better. We'll just say that. Oh, God. By miles. By miles. Well, I think, oh, I think on a, just a quick, yeah, critical analysis, it's hard to put, you know, this came from a famous novel, Dune, um, by Herbert. And it's hard. A lot, there's a lot of inner monologue in the original Dune. And he tried to do that in the film version. And this is why things have to be at adapt it mm-hmm. it's you know we can't see paul atreides in her monologue through the mm-hmm. whole film or then we a lot of the audience will be like well we, shouldn't we just be reading this at this point like this make this is not mm. making a lot of sense mm-hmm. didn't our and, dad watch the whole read all the books murray yeah he was in all that stuff <laughs> i never we ne- i never grew up with my dad really reading a lot but like apparently he was a big reader when he was younger and he read all his books. I'm like, Dad read all of Dune. I was like, and this is when we start to see uh, David Lynch starting to get, you know, he got his his team. This is this is Kyle mm-hmm, McLaughlin playing yeah. Paul Atreides, and then we see him again in 1986 Blue Velvet. We see him in Twin Peaks. We see him all over the fucking David Lynch universe. And Blue Velvet, I I did rewatch this. I finished it last night for mm-hmm. the show, and a lot of people herald this as a neo noir mm-hmm. mystery oh. masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's more lynchy and crazy weird weirdness. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think of, you know, something like True Detective maybe as a mystery uh, neo-noir masterpiece. But Blue Velvet is still so art house to me. Yeah, it's, I think so. But I watched it for the first time the other night because I everyone's like, you need to watch Blue Velvet. And I saw it. And I was laughing. I mean, I laugh with really awkward scenes. Like, for the most part, I like... Well, you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy is if you think about it objectively, he has to, as a director, he's directing him to act that way. He's telling him to do that. I mean, think about Eraserhead again when, like, the mother or people are reacting that little animatronic turkey. Like, you know, it's, you know, he, this is, I guess the point is what's crazy to me, mind boggling, this is purposeful. Like, he's Mm -hmm. telling his actors, okay, when this happens, I want you to do this. And then when we watch it, they're like, what the fuck is, is happening? Mar- well, Marie didn't tell me, which you're good at that. Marie goes, all right. So I want to watch Blue Velvet. She goes, well, prepare, enjoy. What did you say? <laughs> enjoy the. Get ready for the Dennis Hopper. Um, and- oh, God. Rus- His yeah. character. Jesus Christ. Rosalini scene. And then I was like, okay, what is that? And then I, I had no idea. I was like, oh, okay. It's you're talking about like the. <laughs> this is what's happening. Where he, he the gas, the laughing gas. And yeah. He's like, ah, like molesting. 
molesting her or oh, I don't know yeah. what he was doing. He was kept he? being like, mommy, like calling her mommy <laughs> or vagina mommy. I was oh, like, when like Kyle McLaughlin, Laughlin is in the closet and he's. Oh, yeah. In that scene. Okay. And he's yeah. hiding. Right. That is, he's like. You know what's funny is uh, my wife TV Del Rio like came downstairs to be like, "Hey, what are you watching?" And that scene was mm-hmm. playing, and she's oh, like, what, God. "What the hell are you watching?" I was like, "It's for a show. It's for this is for a David Lynch show. It's weird. It's not she's what like, it looks like. I be <laughs> it's not what it looks like." Oh, oh my um, God! I know. Well, not looking at the list of his films, I feel like I could see why people labeled it as that. Um, like as his pinnacle film, what what did you call it? The a, a mystery neo noir masterpiece. Yeah, I mean, I want to say ninety six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is mind boggling. I want to say it's his masterpiece because I think it combines all the elements of all of the like. It's kind of like the most all of his Lynchian tricks. Yeah, all the, it's all not, the things that yeah, it's sort of he normal. mastered over the years. Yeah, it has a linear um process yeah. sorta, but then it has like those elements of absurdity with in like this linear structure and it's all his it's definitely Whereas, like, like a precursor Dune... to like you're like oh this is uh, before twin peaks for sure this is precursor to twin Peaks shit and and i was telling ali you do start to see these themes of like even in dune even though i know it's not his story like of these like group of misfit really dark like dingy Underbelly, seedy, like, yeah. Like he you, loves he's that got, like, society. Yeah, he's. I don't remember well to hurt. I know I'm skipping, but um, Blue Velvet. There's a yeah. It's. I think it's brilliant and just really. You see that ju- juxtaposition between the light and the dark. In in this film, it starts with with that fifty song, and he's walking along in the beautiful grass Blue and the picket fence, and velvet. all of a sudden you see just this bloody finger in the middle of the grass, and you're just like. What the? I love you know, that. But that's or the, the bug imagery, like underneath this beautiful picket oh, fence, yeah, and then we, yeah. and then the the, that's how it the camera keeps, yeah, the key, camera keeps zooming in, and then we see this festering bug, you know, hive, and you're like, like that too. And, and then that unsettling, yeah. Un, well, that's a motif through the whole movie. There's we don't have enough time to talk about the symbolism of blue velvet. Yeah. That would be a, a whole episode by itself. But there is bugs imagery and discussions and things like that through the entire film mm, so it's yeah. a big deal in uh, the art the life yeah in the art life he talks a lot about his experiments with bugs and his fascination with insects and um and just how and nature and like the dirtiness and the realness of that and then i don't know he's brilliant man he just <laughs> and watching that documentary the art life it made me realize so much about his art process how structured and like puritan his parents were but how good and but they completely encouraged his work but he really as an artist he he had that beautiful sunny picket fence childhood mm-hmm. but then he pushed He's himself, very sheltered yeah yeah but then mm-hmm. he pushed himself out of it and like hung out with everyone and experimented with everything and that then he was curious work, he was yeah. curious yeah and yeah. i know we're going a little sidetracked you need to do oh no no wait we are we are contractually obligated to have a tb uh, a (laughs) t-buck tangent corner every episode (laughs) or we have we we lose uh sponsors so please nerd out if you nerd out go down to tangent corner hell yeah there's no rules yeah i just got excited about realizing that about his childhood because i Mm -hmm. it makes it makes so much sense because I was like, why does he always put the spotlight on like this perfect 1950s thing? Yeah, He's like obsessed yeah. with that. But then he has like this real dark, gritty 
Did you notice this? I loved when he talked about like he was coming home at night and then there was just like this random naked woman. Yes. That was, like, deranged. Oh, yeah. That was and I was crazy. like, that makes total a, sense. A lot I think of it traumatized sense. him, right? It yeah, must because have. in Blue Velvet, there's that scene where she's like naked, just like, and disheveled. And you see a lot of like, Oh, with like, yeah, in Just, the house with Laura Dern and her mother too, right? You know, yeah. like it's, it's. Yeah. And there's a, and there's a thing that in the art life, he talks about his, his neighbor coming over and he wouldn't finish the story. I don't know if you guys remember. Yeah, I noticed that. He's like, I can't. He's like, I can't. I can't. So something traumatic happened there. And also when he moved to Philly, he talks about a lot of mental health, mm-hmm. people with mental health issues in his neighborhood. Poor man's New York. He yeah. Was and he's yeah. like, there's this woman that was like, my nipples. And she was like, grabbing <laughs> her nipples and like, hair up in my face. And like, he has a lot of obsession around mental health and females. And mm-hmm. well, maybe not Oh, yeah. And you, and you see that in his work. And I'm actually glad you guys went down this little rabbit hole, this little mm-hmm. tangent, because I think this actually supports part of our subthesis of his his upbringing and some of the traumatic moments and him having familiar familial fights and what we saw in the art life. So for the good people that don't know, for you guys listening, the art life is a documentary on HBO that chronicles his childhood up until essentially most of his life up, up until starting Eraserhead in 1977. Mm-hmm. And then obviously his his career kind of kickstarted from there. So we, we really get an inner kind of like inner monologue of yeah him. we it's get just... like a an inner working of 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 his psyche and it, it became abundantly clear i think to all, all of us as definitely as we're talking about this that his his upbringing there was traumatic things and instead of instead of you know there wasn't a lot of there yeah you know therapeutic care back then you know a lot, not a lot of people were going to their therapist mm-hmm. i think he was just channel channeling he was working through it, I think, through his art. And we see it time and time again in his pieces. Well, you can tell he's not a dark individual. Mm-mm. Like, but right. he had such a Oh, he is. I think so. But I he think didn't have a- like he wasn't like well, we don't know if he was molested, but he wasn't like like uh, he wasn't like abandoned by his family. He didn't have like these yeah, he had a good home, but he Well, had these- I think I think there's a strife, you know, if we were going to dig into this, I think there was some strife with him and his mother. I don't think he went into to a, a lot of detail, but mm-hmm. it became clear to me that he wanted to make her so proud. Mm-hmm. You know, he's yeah. like I'm oh, going yeah, and then and then he wanted to meet his father halfway. And then, but there was, there was this strife of like, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, you know, you're, you're throwing your life away, just trying to be this painter, get a real job. And he's like, no, this is, this is my job. This is what I want to do. I, I'm serious about this and I can make this work and I'm going to, I'm going to prove it to you. And I think that middle part, the strife of his fami- familial struggles of saying of, I think it really broke him in a lot of ways of mm-hmm. him wanting because he did i think so i think to your point because he had a good childhood he wanted to you know he wanted to show his parents like i i'm gonna i'm gonna be a product of how well you did for me and that leads us to 1999's wild at heart i i'm gonna i'm not gonna talk too much about some of these upcoming movies so a wild at heart was in 1999 that was after blue velvet and then uh twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me was after that. Um, but then he went back to filmmaking with Lost Highway, 1997, The Straight Story, 1999. But I feel like though he was starting to a lot of his, uh, much to your point, Marie, a lot of his his techniques and the things he 
pretty much invented, I think, came together with Blue Velvet. I don't think it was until 2001's Mulholland Drive where he perfected it. I feel like that to me is, in terms of his films, I think there's other great things he put out. I think in terms of his films, that to me is one of his magnum opuses. Mm-hmm. A, lo- I, a lot of people feel that way. I don't. It's not one of my favorites, but as far as Ooh, like, why, why? Ooh, I like it when we when we uh, we differ. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Fire Walk with Me is my favorite, but like... Fire Walk with Me is the your twi- favorite. The twin okay, piece well, Fire... hold, uh, but that's hold, different, yeah. put a pin in that What's because the movie? that's part of his. Yeah. Well, yeah, put a pin in that because I do want to talk about his TV projects. We'll talk about Twin Peaks. That's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to get its own segment. But uh, yeah, t- why Mulholland Drive not your favorite then? I I should rewatch it. I watched it a few times when it came out, and I had friends like we like uh, I loved Lost Highway a lot, and mm. um, I loved the soundtrack to Lost Highway. We used to listen to that all the time, and then Mulholland Drive. I, I maybe. I just didn't like the ending of it. I think that pissed me off. Is that with the witch? Silencio. Yeah, it pissed me off. Like, I was just like, come on, man. Like, like I was just kind of like, I think I was like, irritated that I didn't know where it went. But I think I need to rewatch it again. But isn't that every film? Isn't that every David Lynch film? We don't really like, know where it went. It's funny that you say that about the magnum opus. Um, because it, now well, that this we're is talking, just my opinion. Well, you know, no, if we differ, I, I like I like a little discourse on my show. It's been a while since I've seen it. I kind of agree with Ali at the end. I was kind of like, oh damn, you know, like I was hoping. But then you're like, yeah, but I'm watching Lynch, so like, really, like we were hoping for like a linear situation here. Yeah, but yeah, I do kind happen. of agree about he was at a point in his career where he didn't have to answer to anyone he's really built himself as an artist so like this kind of does bring it all together i guess at the heart or essence of lynch no i don't think it's my favorite film personally but i do have to watch it again to i think make a, a final i did like was it but, um, did he did we ever get answers to like if that was her split personality or if that was actually a friend like she was actually there. I don't think it, so. It left it kind of like Well, this unended. is the beauty, this is the beauty of Lynch is your interpretation is the right answer. Every oh, every yeah. interpretation is the correct answer. Because that's why, you know, going back to why he's so cagey about his fucking films is because mm-hmm. he knows it is an art house piece, just like mm-hmm. a painting on the wall. He's not going to be there to explain it when he's at these like mm-hmm. interviews or these panels or things like that. So because he doesn't want to take away what what the artistic value and quality of his pieces do, just like an actual painting does for the viewer. Right. Mm-hmm. It's right. your interpretation and your interpretation is correct regardless of the merits of how you interpret it Mm -hmm. and how it means you know i think music does this the most to people is how it affects you is going to profoundly change from person to person and that is going to of course you know you hearing that song or yeah seeing that painting or seeing that film is when you're like this changed my this changed my life you know Mm -hmm. and then the other person down the street could be like yeah it was okay I don't, I don't really, I don't mm-hmm. know, you know? And um, so there is no right or wrong answer, ladies. No, I just wanted to know if that was something, I'm trying to remember the film premise. Like, was it solved or was it supposed to be like up to you? But you answered my question, so. Yeah, this was my like, you know, obviously Dune, I was young, young when I saw Dune, but Mulholland Drive was, I think I saw it about the time it came out. So, and this is when I was like really, studying these things as Mm. an amateur historian um you know art 
art historian, if you will. And I remember it being very, it was just so, so different and strange and challenging. And, and then, yeah, when, and that was when you get into the, the rest of his body of work, I'm like, oh, well, this is just, this is just how he does it. It like, was very captivating. I remember being completely like, uh, like, like you can take your eyes away from the film. I think though the part that is the um the rug that's pulled out from every literally everyone myself included is when when you when you see Naomi Watts's character through most of the film and she's acting a certain way and you just think that that's her character and then when she does that audition and she completely utterly changes like my 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 mouth fell fell to the to the ground kind of thing. I was like what the what the hell? just are we in a different movie right now but then that's just another lynchian trope of Mm -hmm. he likes to he does this with laura dern he does this with all of his uh, actors like they played there's a lot of dualisms in his characters you know and that's where kind of bringing his filmography to a close we see the dark you know his tropes are uh dark dystopian factory like landscapes dual dualisms seedy underbellies in society uh, sexual, extreme sexual undertones that my wife accidentally saw me watching and <laughs> probably will never let me hear the end of it. Juxtapositions between those with tensions of and uh, of unsettlingly, Im- unsettling imagery and surrealism, all brought together by music that is atmospheric. I think the and I think going back to the beginning of our conversation, Eraserhead is the perfect example of that. It's just that whooshing uh, kind of mm-hmm. sound that is just, it makes your, 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 mm-hmm. your skin, you know, you know, tingle with, mm-hmm. with fear and things like that. And we end his run with a very, this is the thing about Lynch. I think tomorrow he could probably come out with a new film. He just hasn't. It's, it hasn't put out a film since 2006, and that was Inland Empire. In, in between there, he did do a series of uh, TV projects. The most famous is Twin Peaks, which, I, you know, it has all the Lynchian tropes that we already talked about. I honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some flack for this, and you guys can give me some flack on air if you want. I, I, I had the hardest time getting into Twin Peaks. I, I really? never really what? I never really quite <laughs> fell in love. Exactly. Like, what? I That's... know, I know. I never quite fell in love. It's it is, you know, like I said at the top of the show, I love me some avant garde, but there's avant garde and then there's David Lynch. Like his stuff is so challenging. I sometimes can't always fall in love with it and and Twin Peaks was one of them. Though I do that doesn't mean I don't respect it though. I do appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that what people don't know is this was kind of the first time we saw a long form television series. Uh so long form storytelling, so television series dedicated to the murder mystery and now they're fucking everywhere. So mm-hmm. people don't realize a lot of why we love, yeah, you know, I already used the example of uh, of True Detective and things like that. Long format mysteries is it it came from Twin Peaks people. So I, I still give the love where it. Diane, uh, hi the Diane. Credit, <laughs> the credit, I give the credit where credit as deserves. But we see Kyle McLaughlin again in the lead part. Twin Peaks. I actually stopped watching TV at about fourteen because I. Wow. Why? On purpose. Now I just want to do a little interview with you. What? Why? Well, why, just why because stop? I was like a Greek and Italian girl, and I felt unrepresented in TV, like in commercials, and I was like, I don't look like any of these girls on TV. And I was like going through puberty, and I felt like shit, and I was just like, this thing is making me feel like crap. And like I mm. stopped was watching soap operas and like commercials and 
I'm like, no, I just, I was kind of starting to act in high school and I was like, I'm going to just, but anyway, so I was not watching TV at that time. And my, I was, it was one night during the week. I, my dad was sitting in front of the TV and I plopped down on the couch to say hi to him. And all of a sudden it was like destiny, the credits, the freaking <laughs> Twin Peaks, the, very, the pilot episode. It was like the heavens were just like collaborating to make this happen. And like, it was like part of my artistic journey. Like it was so, I was just completely obsessed. And yeah, and like, I was in high school in like South Florida, so no one was watching this show. It just was like nothing I had ever seen. And the music and the, it just called to me. And it was like nothing, once again, that I had ever seen on TV. And it was just very romantic and like mm. mysterious and surreal and poetic. And it just, and like beautiful actors. And, but it was just, it was so gentle. There was like this gentleness about Twin Peaks. Yeah. And um, I just felt like maybe also because I was not watching anything on TV at the time. Did you watch the uh, 27, 2017 reboot? I didn't. And that was part of I it. I did. I wanted to, to, to do this. So what do you guys think of? Did oh, you all God. see it? Uh, I almost got to the end of it. And I was really pushing myself to watch it because it was like such I heard it's the most challenging lynch project to date for it's real so challenging yeah it's it's so like it goes back and forth and he tries to give you answers i mean it's it's so out there marie like when i was watching i was like i thought it is consistently out there like there mm. is not like like 10 minutes that don't go by i'm like why did kyle mclaughlin just come out of a <laughs> literally he formed he went into the electrical system and then came out out of the the whatever the um the plugs or whatever he came out of a plug and then was like a different of course he did normal he was the old (laughs) cooper and that cooper was stuck in like this transient space and then there was the evil cooper that was um bob was still possessed of so it was like it it was it was brilliant because i was to be able to really like i was like okay i know what's going on i was trying really hard to be like okay i'm following i'm following and then it just got to a point where i'm like wait why are we in the 1800s i was like where are we right now like what's happening Allie's so great at following plots too i like commend her because i'll be the one in watching a movie like ali what's going on and she's like oh this this happened this so it must really drive you nuts in a lynch film because it does yeah so sometimes you just have to let go and be like i just have no clue and i know other people that were like really big twin peaks fan and they're like i couldn't finish it and i was like a lot of people said that about two about the the first twin peaks and they couldn't finish season two because there's only two seasons of twin peaks right Mm -hmm. and they couldn't finish season two and i was like but so i and i would got older and rewatched it a few times i was like yes yeah, the end of season two gets real weird but like i loved it how many seasons is the the reboot is it just one couple? just one and they're like long yeah something. they're just really long and Allie, you're describing an endurance test to yeah, like it is. Sure. and i think um going back to we've been we've been you know i think you guys are doing a really great job of uh picking out moments from the art life the documentary mm-hmm. about his life uh to kind of uh, describe where he is or what he's doing or what he's thinking or how he's creating. And there's something that stood out to me was when, um, you know, art is subjective before I say this. And he described his own work sometimes as bad. And I, I think 
hmm. bad for him is probably to us just more challenging than most most people can can digest or consume like it's so weird it's so different that it's just like i gotta put this to bed i gotta mm-hmm. i just like i i kind of because mm-hmm. that's i mean that the truth is that's kind of how Twin Peaks was for me. I kind of started it and then I, I just kind of got off the wagon. I didn't finish it. It didn't quite, I didn't quite um, go through the experience of Yumari where it was like kind of this almost life changing event uh, artistically. Mm-hmm. And I found, I found that um, that really resonated with me when he said that in his documentary. It's like, yeah, sometimes I just make bad things. And when you were, and then when, Allie, when you were describing the 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 plot and all the all the strange happenings and things like that, it it made me realize what he was, or made me realize what he was trying to say is like he knows, you know, he's very objective that he knows he has an identity with his work and he mm-hmm. knows what he likes to make. And he calls it even a musical feel, much like a musician plays mm-hmm. um, an instrument. Mm-hmm. And I, it, I found it so um, a breath of fresh air that he knew that he's like, he knows this stuff is going to be divisive mm-hmm. too. Like, Mm -hmm. but he's like, I can only put out what is honest to myself, you know? And I felt that so refreshing that he's, he realized that and, and he just called it bad. And sometimes I think, and I think going back now to the audience, when they, they see, they see his work, I think a lot of people feel that way. They're like, this is just bad. Like, this is just (laughs) stupid. This is, this is, and I don't think they realize like, what he's trying to do artistically. He's just trying to be himself. (laughs) And we see that time and time again with the other projects he did, 1992's On the Air, 1993's Hotel Room. And I feel like we really get an inner working of his mind when we start to look at his actual painting work. So to date, he's released 29 solo exhibitions of his work. He usually utilizes neutrals, black in particular, but with his contemporary work, I've noticed that he's bringing in a lot more color. He likes to use letters and words, little phrases on his pieces. And they are, I mean, it's weird. It is a painting. It's a flat 2D sometimes 3d sometimes kind of has a little mm-hmm. bit of texture or stuff to his pieces it has a little rauschenberg effect where yeah. it's like three-dimensional pieces coming out yeah, yeah. exactly and but if there's still that you know i've used this this keyword time and time again there's still this element of it's unsettling you know like mm-hmm. a character's arms are extra long or there's like the soul is bursting out of someone after he got shot <laughs> or <laughs> or you just want to give david a hug you're like david it's like what are you what? going <laughs> who who hurt you yeah <laughs> and um so i i urge you guys to check out uh not only his babies his flagships his film and television projects but also check out his paintings and most importantly i i listen to all three of his albums oh that's so um, great now he's actually collaborated with a number of musicians sometimes as producers sometimes as, as uh you know just a auxiliary musician, if you will. So he's worked with the likes of Julie Cruz, Jocelyn Montgomery, Karen O. So that's Karen over the yeah, yeah, yes. If you're a yeah, yeah, yes fan. Oh, cool. I am. Likey Lee and Fly Low or Flying Lotus, the EDM artist, or probably IDM at this point, as well as his biggest musical collaborator, Angelo Badalamenti. They put out an album together as Thought Gang, uh, not not too long ago, I listened to that as well. That's more um, instrumental, you know, things like that. But his his albums, so 2001's Blue Bob, 2011's Crazy Clown Time. What a great fucking name. 2013's The Big Dream is more David Lynch 
in essence. And what's crazy is like, I, I, let me ask this first before we, we talk about it. Did you guys actually get a chance to listen to any of these? I did. Yeah. Okay. I thought this was the most uh, commercially digestible art he's ever put out. With his like, music? Uh, music? His music. Yes. Because there are moments of weirdness, especially when he's just talking to you. He's not actually singing. But it's, you know, when you when you actually strip it down, it's just 12-bar blues. These are blues songs, you know? And he's talking about crazy clowns and shit. I was, <laughs> We're talking about, I was listening to Blue Lynch, Bob. Weird Lynchian stuff. Yeah, Blue Bob is, is, I actually listened to that this morning before we did the show. So did and I. I was, I was like, Oh, this is great. This is, but this is just the blues. It's just twelve bar kind blues. Kind of, because he grew because he grew up with that. It has a little Trent uh, Trent Reznor feel to it, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, well, yeah. And you know what's crazy is, ooh, I'm glad you brought that up because as the um, the resident resident <laughs> music head? musicologist in in the room, so uh, from a racer head that that those whooshing sounds that that score mm-hmm. that they they wrote mm-hmm. that almost single-handedly helped to inspire Trent Reznor to create a lot of the textures that he used in Nine Inch Nails. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So a lot of the Nine Inch Nails industrial sounds, a lot of the the background stuff, like layer below the music to actually create mood and tone and emotion in the the listener is the exact same kind of effects that uh, David Lynch used in Eraserhead. Wait, that's cool. And did, I was asking Ali this, Trent Reznor did the music for Lost Highway, correct or not? He, uh, I think he helped. He helped, and he, I believe, this is when he put out the Perfect Drug. That song mm-hmm. that was like part of the soundtrack. This is when, like, you know, the '90s was when we 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 used to commission musicians, you know, big musicians to just be on the soundtrack. Remember Romeo and Juliet, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet? Like we had radio, like a standalone Radiohead song on there, and we had all these standalone, you know pieces that they stopped completely stopped doing pretty mm-hmm. much in the late 2000s definitely today when streaming you know became became king mm-hmm. um yeah. and so yeah that was part of it they actually have a huge relationship when he put out his last lp um hesitation marks this is trent reznor with nine inch nails mm-hmm. he had david lynch direct a video oh wow um he's because david lynch and part of his you know visual repertoire his visual work he directs a lot of music videos for musicians as well so that makes sense yeah it says lost highway um trent reznor produced it well produced and scored is yeah a little different i think he like helped a lot but i don't think it's quite quite the same like he does with atticus ross with his scoring work it's just a lot that that album was fantastic i remember listening to that all the time when i was younger which one the um the soundtrack to lost highway oh really Mm -hmm. okay interesting but sorry we're back on his music yeah no i i i it was fine i liked it i wouldn't go be like oh i really want to listen to david lynch right now it's not like that and yeah that (laughs) so yeah like 12 bar blues uh rock industrial and um and trip hop you know one of my favorite sub genres of hip-hop so trip hop is like massive attack portis portis head well uh, uh trip hop came out in the in the late uh, or early '90s, late '80s, early '90s, and a little bit in 2000s. Listen to Portishead. Yeah, Goldie. Portishead, Massive Attack, and uh, I had a I had a very <laughs> large diet of trip hop growing up, so I, I recognized it immediately. And it's I I urge you guys. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I urge you guys if you haven't listened to if you didn't even know David Lynch made music, uh, check it out. It's actually pretty interesting. He's also went on to do uh, design work, designing and constructing uh, furniture for himself or films, and he also has a nightclub called silencio <laughs> it's really cool i looked it up 
It's Did in you? LA. Okay. Ooh, tell us about it. Um, it has so it's like almost like you're walking, you're sitting in a tunnel, and it's all like gold, and it has a lot of like gold, silver, very um art deck kind of. I don't know if I'd say Art Deco, but I would say that vibe, but also like that 50s kind of feel to it. And then he has like that stage, that classic stage with the piano. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is very the Mahal- red curtain. Mahal and Drive. Well, it's based off like it's supposed to be like a Mahal and Drive club. Like mm-hmm. um, it has that like feeling with the yeah, the red curtain and all of that stuff. So I think is this in L.A., Ali? It's in Paris. Oh, cool. Yeah, Um, yeah, Mm -hmm. which is even better, and it's it's beautiful, like the it's all there's it has this like gold gold metallic bar and stuff. It's really neat. I want to go. I'm like, I want to go to Paris. I'm gonna go to this place. He's also delved into literature. Um, He helped create 2018's Room to Dream, which is a biography memoir hybrid. And I think, Marie, something that you have a lot to to discuss, to talk about, is Catching the Big Fish, Meditation, Consciousness, and Creativity. It's a 2006 book he wrote on transcendental meditation. I actually have that book in front of me. Um, And it's it's kind of like little tidbits like the it's little snippets um basically journal entries and stuff he's done over the years about meditating and art and i know generally that he started meditating how old is he in his late 70s i think he started 77 i believe yeah i think he started meditating in his 30s um and he meditates twice a day every day for 20 minutes each and he studies he studied transcendental which is a form of meditation um it's like a very structured they use a mantra um but he's very much into and he started his own foundation the david lynch foundation which is helping um youth and they go into inner city public schools they work with vets um and teaching them tm transcendental meditation but he's a huge advocate and he talks very openly about how it's helped his artistic process so let's tie a bow on this B and start to um, talk about some conclusions. Why is this just his work so important to the art community and evolving, you know, different differing kinds of art? I think definitely because it will expand your mind a little bit. It'll definitely make you broaden like and challenge your, your consciousness. And like if, if you are an artist or if you aren't, it will definitely make you more curious so it's an expansion. It's important. It's important to be open-minded. And he kind of makes you feel that way. Like you're walking down the street and you're just having a walk. But you say you just watched a David Lynch film. You're like, yeah, but what's around the corner? <laughs> so he, he does that. He has that ability to make your, your mind a little wider. Yeah, and to kind of bounce off of what she was saying earlier about his bravery and courage and like the process. I know the question is based based on his work. Um, yeah, any artist, I think it would benefit them to kind of ditto what Ali just said, to experiment. I mean, experience his work is going to help you um, because it, you know, it's going to help you expand your mind. Expansion is important. And yeah, to kind of push up against what you're comfortable, what makes you uncomfortable. As an artist, that is so important. It may not be where you want to go every day, but it's just to push you up to the edge and that's what he does that's what his work represents in other words get out of your comfort zone Mm -hmm. and watch 
watch, get into, read, whatever the medium is, get into David Lynch. So there you have it, guys. David Lynch's career from top to bottom, a little everything. I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank my guests, Miss Alexandra Parsons and Miss Marie Parsons for joining us today. But before we go, we got a little extra for you. We got a little icing on the cake, a little cherry on top with what we call the gym of the week. If you don't know what the gym of the week is, if you're new to the show, where have you been? We've been we've been doing like 80 of these. Okay, you should, <laughs> should know by now. But if you don't, it's something we like to talk about here at the end of the show so that doesn't always fit into the scheme of the topic because it may just be on our radar in the last day, last week, last month. I don't know, but we want to give it to you guys so you guys can dig deeper. Before we uh, talk about gyms, let's talk about their sponsor. Today's gyms are brought to you by Zencaster. Zencaster is our go-to tool for remote podcast recordings. What's great is that you can record separate audio and video track video tracks, and it's all backed up on a secured cloud so you never lose your hard work. Even better, it's easy to use and there's nothing to download. So go to zen.ai, that's Z-E-N dot A-I slash art of the beholder, or just use promo code art of the beholder and get 30% off your first three months with a pro account. Now back to the gyms. Mine's going to be short and sweet so I can pass it back to my guests. It is uh, a pair of musicians. It's a, it's, it's ladies night in, in the house today. So we're going to give some more love to the ladies with um, two musicians. Uh, Janelle Monet just put out a, a brand new album album. It is excellent. Give it a, give it a listen, but also someone that probably you've never heard of. And this is Callie. I'm going to butcher this last name. Um, so I'm going to spell it. Uh, it's U C H I S. Yeah. So Callie K A L I U C H I S. She is, there has been this explosion of Latin America and Hispanic artists like bad bunny and things like that. And I, I love it. I love, I love the Spanglish. I love, I love the mixing of genres, things like that. And Callie is, is, is coming up. And I think you guys should give her a listen. Marie actually told me about this show. Mine's a TV show. Uh, and then she's like, you could stomach it. I couldn't. So, um, I, I got on the bandwagon and started watching Prime's show. Well, it's actually MGM or whatever. Um, the show from, like the horror show from. Uh, and I watched it all. And now there's, I'm on season two. And I think the next episode comes out today. It is really good. Just, well, isn't it the guys that produce Lost? Lost, and... yeah, yeah, it's Lost. It's it has it keeps having you have more questions than answers, um, and it get does get less scary. It is very scary. Um, it kind of freaks you the fuck out. Like when you leave your house at night, you're kind of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I closed all my shades the first night. I was like, oh, I don't want to see. Yeah, but then like I pushed through it. I was like, fine. I knew um, you would like it. I liked it because it gets more. It's more about like you could see that it's about like the character bonding, and you just gotta watch it. I don't want to get too into it, but um, it's very good. Speaking of TV, I do think that if you guys haven't seen Barry B A R R Y on Max or HBO I or whatever the F Barry. it's called, I've seen the whole okay. thing. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think it's brilliant. So yeah, check it out. And then uh, you know what to do, guys. If you like that, you can follow us at NovaDayProductions.com. Like, subscribe, do all the things. Miss Allie, tell them how to get a hold of you real quick. Um, you can follow me on Instagram on Alexandra underscore Parsons or go see my portfolio work on AlexandraParsons.com. And my Etsy link is on it's Alexandra Parsons Co. on Etsy, like CEO. Guys, check it out. And if you'd like to be on the show or sponsor our little love child, you can do so at NovaDayMedia at gmail.com. So until next time, guys, we will see you in the next one. So be good to each other. And as always, good luck and Godspeed. We love you. Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions. 
Created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media. At Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company. Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123. Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J-E-S-T-U-S, of thejusticecompany.com. And executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.